Good morning, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Coffee with Jim and James. James, I got to tell you, got a new mug. I'm happy today. We have a great guest, a friend of ours in the industry, and we're going to talk about everything from SMS to top 100 movies to painting. I mean, this is going to be robust. I'm looking we're forward to We're going to cover a lot of ground today. I'll tell you what, over the next couple of days, we're recording with some with some rock stars, and Jim Francis is one of those. Jim's welcome to the show. Yeah, uh, glad to glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure, my friend. What, what tell, tell us how your day's going right now, Jim? What's 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 Jim's day look like right now? Yeah, well, it started off pouring down rain, you know, and then uh, the sun has come out. I got a bird feeder outside my window. It's it's uh, sort of a beautiful thing. I get to watch all the finches come and go, and so uh, it, it's been productive. It's been diverse, you know. So it's not been a bad day at all. And, and for those those that are sharing uh, or watching us on video today, in full disclosure, Jim said I would have a, a full background, all, everything hung up. I just moved, so he's not in a prison cell. I swear, he's he's well, just decorating. I'm in a large basement somewhere, actually, in Southern Indiana. Okay, I got to ask a question, Jim. Let me just connect the dots. You were with Vectoran Utilities. Then thus became center point um, in, in the past. Now I know you were in Indiana. Did you ever move down to Houston with Center Point or not? Yeah, I, I've moved a couple different times when I've been acquired a couple different times. So uh, way back, you know, when I first started, I worked at Dayton Par and Light in Ohio, and then Vector bought them. And so then I moved to Indiana, uh, in the Evansville area, and I lived there for about 15 years. And then once Center Point acquired Vector, I moved down to Houston for about three years, and then. Uh, moved over to EN Engineering and came back, uh, back to Indiana where, you know, many of my uh, friends were and my wife ended up getting a job up here. So it's been good to be home, good to be back. good thing. Growing up in the Midwest, there are definitely things about the Midwest that I miss. I will say that, but Florida life is pretty good for me. Texas life is good for me too. So I like... Can't complain. So I'm basically the third wheel on this uh, center point train. I felt... It's been the first time for me. No, it's it's not. But, you know, James, when we do these podcasts, I was actually thinking about this today. Who's going to have more fun, you or me, just because Jim Francis and I have a lot of things in common and you're just a, a sponge for the industry. You just want to keep learning more and more about everything. So uh, I don't well, know. We've heard it's great be fun for all three of us. Yeah, we've heard great things about Jim Francis from our friend Steve Allen. Uh, he yep. was excited to hear you were coming on today. So uh, why don't we just get right into it, Jimmy? I am ready, if you all are. Uh, Jim, a topic that is near and dear to your heart, SMS. Why did you ever get into SMS, consulting the whole bit, everything that you do with it? Uh, lead us, unpack that a little bit, bring us into your world. Yeah, it's funny. So I'm, I'm a believer that sort of things happen for a reason, right? And, and you know... You get people put in your place, you get experiences, you get things that sort of get thrown at you. And when I look back at my career and it's, you know, nearly, it's actually 30 years now, which is kind of crazy to believe that that's the case. Um, I look way back to when I first started and I was, you know, designing transmission uh, pipelines and we were looking at records and, you know, I was building GIS systems and doing system planning. And every time somebody would leave the business, I would get their job. And so I was doing right away management and, and land services and 
you know, all kinds of things that you think, okay, well, why am I getting this? And, you know, just because I'm the new man on the block, maybe that, you know, that that's the why they gave it to you back then. But when you start to fast forward and you start to, you know, look at all of the experiences and the things that you have, you know, I had an opportunity to, um, to manage an operations division. And, you know, that was fascinating and get you into um, customer service It gets you into construction, you know, the engineering side of things. Um, you know, you deal with labor relations, you know, sort of the litany of all things that kind of come. You have the emergency response activities. You start to understand and appreciate damage prevention. I remember I remember spending a night out on this on Main Street in, in downtown Dayton after somebody um, excavated a hole and then somebody else proceeded to drive their car into the hole, <laughs> which then broke the gas line and the water line and then subsequently filled the uh, gas lines up with water and you're in a low pressure system, you know, so you get those experiences when, you know, when you have that moment to work in operations and then you continue to sort of fast forward and all the compliance requirements. Um, when I became a director, I actually got greeted within the first two days of my job with a pipeline safety incident, you know, a house explosion. And that's how you meet people, Steve Allen, by the way, is you, you know, you start to work with the, the commissions and you start to work with the pipeline safety divisions and, you know, you start to see the risks and the things that happen, you know, through the course of all of that. And then you end up with integrity management and OQ and DIMP and, you know, and ultimately that stuff all starts to build together. And then, you know, you're fortunate enough and I was fortunate enough to work for a company who, um, they decided they're going to commit to 1173. They put it on my desk and said, go figure it out. And, and we did, you know, and it, and it worked out really, really well for us. And, you know, you can see the value to the field folks and you can see the value to the company as a whole. And, um, and that's where Steve and I, for example, yep. started building our relationship. So, you know, that's really the background of it. And that's kind of how I got into it. And I remember one of my, my colleagues, Nancy Condor and I, you know, we, we sort of worked together to figure it out. And I kept telling her at some point, we should be consulting around this. You know, there's some things that we have to offer the industry as a whole. And, you know, this would be a good opportunity for us. And, you know, I, I was given the, you know, the opportunity to come to Ian and do exactly that. So thrilled to do it now. Jim, you mentioned uh, 1173. I This is off script, so you don't have to answer it. You can just tell me to move on. But do you have any, I, I've talked to Steve about it. I've talked to a lot of folks that run in the same circles how close do you think we are of that being not a recommended practice, but a full blown something that everybody's going to be adopting? Yeah, it's funny because it feels like the states are starting to, you know, pick everybody off. Although I think maybe it's slowed a little bit, you know, initially, uh, it seems like several years ago, four or five years ago, there's an incident would occur, something would happen and it'd become sort of expectation at that level, which I think is fine. It's a good way to do it, you know. Um, you know, I think the states then can start to align with the cost recovery and some of the other challenges that people have, but it's probably the next big incident that happens. But, you know, the whole idea behind it is let's, let's get out in front of this. Let's mitigate risk without, you know, waiting for the incident to occur. And if we can get ourselves a little more accelerated around that, then maybe we don't have to be faced with, you know, it's a requirement and you all have to do it. Yeah. You bet. So, Jim, you're obviously an SMS champion. When we think about the difference that implementing SMS does for operators, in your opinion, where should operators be spending their time, money, and resources? Yeah, um, you know, the, uh, the, the two elements of um, 1173, you know, the two goals and objectives that they, they highlight are, you know, reduce risk and improve safety culture. And, you know, clearly when you start the execute the process, they, they go hand in hand. 
But if you're going to start, you might as well start in that area. And if you start in risk management, as an example, and you start to build out the processes around that, it naturally uh, forces you into other areas. So now you've got to engage your stakeholders. You know, you've got to go out and you talk to your employees, you talk to your contractors, you talk to, you know, the, the folks that you're working with, the public and others, you talk to your regulators, and, you know, and you start to gather information from these folks. Um, and you also then start to, um, you know, create this opportunity for them to uh, be engaged in the, the solutions. You know, somebody somewhere has got to mitigate that level of risk. And can you find people that, you know, understand the process? Well, nobody understands it better than the person that executes it every single day. You know, so naturally that's the area that you start to grow in. And then that creates a need for building a learning environment. You know, you've got to be able to, um, you got to be able to have uh, some way to be able to educate the workforce. And, you know, that's, there's no better way to do that than to start to execute SMS. You know, it, it takes, you know, leaders to be committed behind it all. You know, clearly that's um, a part of the process, but if you're going to do it, you know, that's the area to start with is it, it risk man management is kind of the catalyst for, uh, for change and it's the accelerator of the whole thing. You know, Jim, you hit on something and I want to uh, unpack this a little bit. You mentioned an environment to learn, sharing information and such like that. Uh, Steve Allen has taught me so much over the years about SMS and PSMS. And the one thing he says, it's uh, it's a journey, it's not a destination. And Steve is a huge proponent of committees, uh, task force, items like that where people can share. And you hit on it too. You have 30 years of knowledge up on that noggin of yours. I don't have as much. I have a little over two decades. But still, there's going to get a time where we hopefully can retire at some point down the road here, right? And you have, we have to think about those other actually two generations that are right behind us. And how do we get that information? What are some of those platforms that you see are beneficial that we could get people to recommend to people to get in, engaged and involved with? Yeah. You know, clearly today, um, the AGA, for example, there's, you know, great sharing forums, things like the peer review program. Um, you get like the API and, and some of the uh, avenues that they have to come in and do, you know, an evaluation. And those are one way to certainly share about it. Um, you know, I got to be involved in sort of executive level conversations around incidents and things that would occur. And those are all great, you know, but once again, we start to think about, like you talked about the number of people that are um, transitioning in the business. And, yeah. You know, my 30 years, your couple of decades, five years, 10 years from now, you know, we're not going to be sitting there having these kinds of conversations. So somebody else behind us is how do you start to accelerate, you know, their understanding and their learning? And I mean, you go back in time and it's interesting when I, when I talk about 1173, a lot of times I start with 1965, you know, because people don't remember what the driver was behind pipeline safety code and how it came to be. And there's an interesting incident in, you know, Nacogdoches, Louisiana, that talks about pipeline exploding and stress corrosion cracking and all these other things that you, that we see in integrity management. And, you know, how do you get from that to where we are today? And part of that is, you know, discussing the history along the way, San Bruno and Bellingham and all these incidents that created change. So, you know, there's, there's, there's forums out there that exist, whether it's going to an AGA conference or, you know, things like you guys, what you guys do, or you might bring your clients in or we might bring our clients in, but um, I'm not sure that we're having a conversation with all of the, the levels of the organization. Maybe that can be. You know, certainly executives talk about it and then they try to bring that back to the workforce. But how do you, you know, do we ever get an operator to talk to an operator? You know, that that's a piece that uh, is sort of fascinating that, you know, I'm not sure that we've scratched the surface on that yet. 
And maybe that's where we start to get to sort of that next level. Let's not talk about incidents. Let's talk about risk, the things we're doing to improve, you know, let's make sure that we're you know, getting the feedback from those people that, uh, that really understand how to do the work. Yeah, and I've seen that. Just let me pop in real quick, James. Uh, Jim and I were at AGA New Orleans a couple months ago for committee and board meetings and all that. We ran into each other. And those days were very intensive uh, sitting in committees where a lot of people are sharing. And in, in my committee, which is supplemental gas, LNG, CNG, and how we can use it on the grids, that's my pass. Um, it was just amazing to sit in there with 40-some people in just that committee alone and all the sharing and the walls went down and we had operators from all over the United States that were involved in that. And we were really just trying to share best practices, safety tips, safety items, ways to do things more efficiently. And it was, it, it's really wonderful to see. And, and again, that was 40 and, and we can imagine how many people are in our utility space right now throughout the United States, you know, just to get that out, but good point. Yeah, no, no, no. I was just going to mention, think about what we just saw at the Louisiana Gas Association Pipeline Safety Conference, right? It was very similar to what uh, Jim is describing and just people coming together and talking about things and there were inspectors and regulators and all kinds of folks in the room, but it was very refreshing and it wasn't just Louisiana. Like we had six, seven states at least like with authority there and i i think that was refreshing to see yeah that was and that was your first time there yeah uh, there were a lot of great groups out there doing a lot of awesome work yeah, yeah there was, really are i was following you guys on linkedin and seeing all the posts and i kept thinking to myself the L, you know lga must do a great conference you know sort of made me want to be there with all the things that were going on but um you know i, I think it's interesting that one of the challenges is trying to understand like okay what's the best practice around this you know, and how do you start to have that conversation so you can recognize it? I remember years ago, I went to an AGA best practice event and it was really, really good. And we were talking around, I think, emergency response and, you know, but you're at the whim of whoever happens to be there in the middle of that conversation, you know, so there might be four or five operators and you're talking about the best practice among them, not the best practice in the industry. And so having that bigger conversation with 40 people or, you know, that, that part of it, I think is where the evolution of SMS and the evolution as an industry starts to really make change so that we never have to go to the point of putting new regulations in place, you know, not, yeah. not as of an incident. Yeah. yeah. And, and I agree with that. I think regulators last week, James and I being at LG spent a lot of times with FEMSA as well as regulators from a lot of the Gulf States were there. And when the regulators hear a lot of the chatter and talk about uh, initiatives that people are doing in the industry, I, th- I think it does energize them because they, you know, they want to support that. They want to support those dialogues. They want to support that process. And instead of being the person that says, here, you shall or you should do this, mm-hmm. rather, they're like, that's a great idea. When I heard that, I was like, that gets me excited because they're saying, yes, keep going, folks, keep going. And PSMS, again, for me, I'll go back to Steve Allen. It never ends. There's never a, a final. You don't get to the point where you say, okay, I completed it. We're done. It's everlasting. And that's an exciting thing that you always want to reassess and look at it and how you can keep evolving and doing better. So, yeah, you know, it's funny because Steve Allen and I, um, you know, we started that conversation back in 2015. And, and part of it was not really knowing what we were doing, you know, and it was, you yeah. think, let's figure it out as we go collectively between his staff, and, you know, our, our team and, 
And, um, and we, we sort of collectively worked together on it. And there was points, there was a point in time where we did a continuous improvement event and it was around 811, you know, and the ability to call. And, and in that, in that event, we had Steve or in one, in one of his team members, we had uh, excavators, we had the folks from Indiana 811, we had our team, we had our locators. I mean, it was a really cool event that sort of demonstrated the, what's possible in this, you know, if you really start to engage all your stakeholders in the right way. And it was a, and at the end of the day, like we didn't necessarily walk away with all the action. You know, Indiana 811 had some, the excavators had some, Steve had some, you know, we all had something to do. So it was, um, you know, it was it was pretty powerful, I guess, in the way it's supposed to be done. Yeah, well, that's that's exciting. Okay, Jim, I've been waiting days to ask this question. I knew Maybe you were going to do me. this. Yeah. What? I knew oh, you yeah. were going to do this. Yeah. Oh, I I've been waiting with already bated breath. Anyways, you have a top one hundred movie list. Okay, I want to dive into Jim more on the personal side because there's some interesting facts that have come about that I've just learned. You have a top 100 movie list that's ongoing. Is that correct? It is. I'm the dork who um, makes an Excel spreadsheet, you know. 15. Oh, you do not. You do? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I have an Excel spreadsheet. And he has a, an SMS program for it. <laughs> it sounds like. <laughs> it's the quality control process around, you know, the movie. QMS. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I actually have this Excel spreadsheet that every every year I get to January, I copy the prior years over. I go through this exercise of validating that, I, do I still like these movies or not? And then I update the list. And so I, it's it's funny. I started this when my um, when my son was born, my old, who's now 23 years old. Okay. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Around that time. a while. Oh, yeah, it's been a while. I, th I think my list actually goes back 15 years, but AFI came out with their top 100 movie list of all time. Yeah. Citizen Kane was number one. I forget what was number two. You know, just go down the list of all these, like, epic movies. And so I thought to myself, I've never watched these movies. So I rented Citizen Kane. I liked, I watched it. I was like, eh. And I rented the next one. I was like, eh. And I finally got to Lawrence of Arabia. And I can see why people, you know, think it's one of the top 100 movies, but I was like, eh. <laughs> so I, I, I got a six pack. I sat down on a Friday night, three o'clock oh, in the morning. I finally had myself a list hammered out and I've been maintaining it ever since. So where does point break land on your list? <laughs> it doesn't even make the uh, honorable mention. <laughs> does, does Pulp Fiction make it? No. And you know what? That's one of those. So this is the best part about having the list because people then start to like go, wait a minute. Influence yeah. it. Yeah. And that's actually, a, that's a, that's a rather uh, common one that comes up when I, when I talk to people, I just never got into Tarantino. That's understood. All right. So yeah, we got to know though, we got to know, right? Like what's in the top five in Jim Fran. And by the way, this, this is like my love language. You're my kind of nerd, Jim Francis. I'm really excited about this. Uh, I'll send you my list when it's all said and done. Of course, I was, you know, a child of the 1980s, so it's like a lot of movies on there from that era. Uh, but the number one movie of all time is Gladiator. Oh, okay. With uh, Russell Crowe. That one? Oh, yep, that's the one. Yep. I watched that with my father. My dad was never a guy that ever watched movies, and I sat and watched it with him one night, and he looked at me at the one he goes, that was an awesome movie. Yeah. Okay, I have to play this game for just a second. My wife's favorite movie is Forrest Gump, and surely that did that make it somewhere? Oh yeah, yeah. Forrest Gump's up in the top ten. That's that's cool. actually my wife's favorite movie. So number two yeah. is uh, Die Hard. 
Oh, uh, number three is Hoosiers. <clears throat> number four oh, what is a Homer. I, I, well, I grew up in Michigan. I didn't grow up in Indiana, oh, so okay, okay. I watched it when I was living in Ohio. But um, and number number uh, four is um, Shawshank Redemption, and number five is um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, that's good. That's solid. Uh, I, a couple of those are my favorites. Absolutely. I love it. Being I product love it. of the '80s, James. You know, some of us are product of the '80s. Oh wow. Well. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't even born then. I'm just kidding. That's not true. I was born in 79, actually. Oh, so you're you're you can claim 70s. Really an 80s baby. I mean, really. Uh, and then there's another cool fact about Jim that I want to bring up too, and that's that you recently got into painting, from what I understand. And we didn't really get to talk about this in the pre-show, but um, what are you painting and what got you into it? Yeah. Yeah, so um, what got me into it, I'll start there. My youngest son has um, some disabilities. And, um, you know, over the years, you try to figure out what kind of therapies might work, you know, for him. And we got turned on to art therapy. Um, and he's 19 years old today. So he probably started when he was like eight or nine years old. And um, the art therapist taught this process called meme therapy. And, you know, they, they work him through a lot of visual, you know, things and try to get their you know, brain stimulated and then they, and then they paint. And um, it's unbelievable what, what they paint. I, I, unfortunately, I don't have one of his pictures here to show you. I wish I, I wish I had gotten one, but um, anyway, so she moved to Florida and then we moved to Texas and it's like, I don't have an art therapist. Anymore. And so I thought to myself, I'll try to be the art therapist. Mm. And, um, and then it just caused me then to think, eh, maybe I should try to paint. I mean, I'm painting with him all the time and maybe I can try it. So I, I did a painting and I painted a barn with a big sunflower in front of it. And I went, yeah, that's not half bad. But then you start to apply your engineering skills and go, it's not to scale. There's all kinds of other things you want to do. With it. And then I painted the next barn and, and it turned out awesome. It's the best painting I've done. And, and, uh, and ever since then, so I've probably done 40 or 50 paintings since then. Wow. Do, do you sell them on eBay? Can I buy one? I mean, uh, yeah, I've heard that. People have said, hey, if you try, you might, you know, you can get people to buy this. Have thing. you done one of us yet? Like on the podcast? I'm just wondering. No, not yet, but I could. Okay. Just I've, only done, I've only done one. Faces aren't my thing. I'm kind of in the oh, landscape. Same. Same. Yeah. You should right. you should post some of those sometime. Hold on. Maybe I, I think he has one. I, I got I got I'll, I got two, two paintings. Let's see them. Let's hey now. Yeah. I'll show you my first one, which is a barn. The barns are kind of my thing. Look at that. He said it's not the scale. Is that the one that you were? Uh, oh, this is the one you fixed. This is this is one's to scale. It's just not. It's not my favorite one. I've got others that, that's that I think are a lot better. That's beautiful. But I paint acrylics and I do some watercolors. And then this one, you'll see, I'm not good at faces, but oh yeah, a little nativity scene. Love that. So oh, that's great. I go online, I find pictures, and I try to replicate them. Well, I tell you what, though, um, for your experience with your family and son doing that, as well as the last couple of years of COVID, I know a lot of us have struggled with releases and trying to get our energy something other than, you know, honestly, working 12, 14 hours a day in front of the screen for the last two years. Yeah. We're now getting back out. We're now doing things. But I bet that was very beneficial for you not just for your son over the many years, but for you personally, Jim, over the last two years. And it's fun to yeah. see that. Yeah, it was, it's been a good release for me. It's funny because my wife always says, I'm jealous. I don't have that, <laughs> that, uh, 
release. I don't have that thing. And uh, so I just bought her a keyboard so she can, you know, play her piano. <laughs> That's it. good. I was about to say, my wife would say, you need to go paint. <laughs> but, uh, oh, she would put you away, James, say, yeah. You need a little bit. Well, Jim, we're wrapping up here, but we ask everybody, uh, or we've been asking everybody one question. Uh, one of our things we try to do here with the show is is give it all away. You know, we can't take it with us when we leave here. And so anything we can teach folks, whether it be leadership or ideas or concepts or, you know, things about our industry, whatever it is that Jim Francis would want to give all away, what would that be? Yeah, I love the question because it sort of prompted my uh my thinking around what what that would be. And many years ago, my mother gave me a book, and I'm not really an app. Uh, so she gave me a book called Falling Upward. And, um, you know, the premise behind the book is we sort of live two stages of life, you know, in the first whatever 40 years of your life, it's pretty self-absorbed. And, you, you know, you're trying to figure out who you're going to be and what you're going to be. And you're worried about your job and you're worried about making money and you're worried about whatever, you know, status and all the other stuff. And then at some point, there's this sort of, you know, flip of the switch and you start to realize I can't take it with me. And I love the fact you talked about that because it's like, you can't take it with you. So, you know, that, that, you know, it, it, it's really guided me really over the last, I don't know, seven, eight years, you know, really since I finished the book and I actually started reading the book and for whatever reason, it was like too deep for me and I put it down. And then like three years later, I picked it back up and I finished it and it just read through like it was, I was reading a comic book. It was simple. And, you know, there was a message that needed to be, you know, had to me at that time. And so I think about that in terms of my work and my personal life. It's like, what can I give back to others? And, uh, you know, that's part of the reason why I consult in SMS. It's like, there's stuff that I can't take with me and somebody else needs to know it. And we've got to be able to help each other. And so, you know, we've all got that, you know, you know so you guys are doing that. It's what you do as part of the show is try to give back to others. And uh, there's a lot of people out there like that. And I love that, you know, just make sure you realize that, you know, there's, there's value that we all have to give to, to somebody else. So, Amen. Amen. It definitely resonates strong with myself and James. And uh, I, I tell you that that mindset, Jim, that you have, again, resonates with so many in the industry where they want to do that and they are doing that. And it is for the betterment of the whole industry. So it's, it's wonderful to see, wonderful to hear. So, yeah, exactly. Well, I, I don't want to end, guys. I mean, I could keep going and going, but uh, I, I think we're at our I think we're at our our end. Jim, Francis, any last minute things you want to say? Uh, any anything to wrap up with? Yeah, I just thank you guys for letting me have the opportunity to be on the show. And, you know, maybe if you ever want to make it a trio someday, we can go Jim, James and Jimmy. I don't know. You know, you guys are doing a awesome job. Yeah, this is this is over our Jim quota, I think. <laughs> I, I once had a college class that had five, ten people in it, and five of them were named Jim, and too many Jims was not a good thing. Yeah, like even before the show, Jim, James says, "Hey, Jim," and you and I both looked. We're like, "Is he talking to you or is he talking to me?" You know. I in my one of my middle school classes, I had a guy named James Cross. Oh no, kidding! I no. mean, seriously, same name. This is the most confusing thing on earth. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's all we got folks jim thanks for joining us absolutely jim thank you so much thanks, it's guys. an absolute pleasure uh i'd like to reserve maybe a, a repeat guest 
maybe uh, uh, couple them up with a Steve Allen down the road or something like that and really nerd out on SMS stuff and get into it. So if you're willing, Jim, we'll, we'll keep you on the uh, retainer. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. Will we see you guys at the AGA in the fall? Uh, I'll be there. Yes, absolutely. Anaheim, mm -hmm. California. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. All Until right. next week on Coffee with Jim and James, we appreciate you tuning in. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate you joining us. Thanks, James, for all you do. Bye-bye.